Yorkshire is known for its turbulent weather and wildly romantic hills and dales that influence not only the Bronte sisters, but our guests today. I'm Susan Schwartz, your drinking companion, and this is Lush Life Podcast. Every week, we are inspired to live life one cocktail at a time. We have Richard Thompson, co-founder of Sing Gin, with me today on the program. When his father brought home a still, they were not sure what would come of it. Throwing caution to the wind, he and his family produced an award-winning gin that comes from and is tied to the Yorkshire landscape. He is here to tell us what transpired. In the words of Emily Bronte, kind of, we'll discover it was not the flax bending to the gin, but the gin embracing the flax. So let's get to it. Don't tell the other counties, but Yorkshire is my favorite. <laughs> it's those hills and dales. And, you know, I was there for the first time in autumn, and there was fog, and you could just feel like the Bronte sisters were right there writing. It is just heavenly. I know that your gin is from Yorkshire. So tell me about growing up in Yorkshire and how you even started to develop Sing Gin. Yeah, absolutely. I think, first of all, I think Yorkshire is known as God's own country. For, for a reason and perhaps the reasons you, you've just described. Born and bred in Yorkshire, raised in, in a city called Leeds. And then I went away for university for five years and then came back to, to Yorkshire really five years ago. And I think Singjin came about because my dad, Ian, always wanted to create a family business and almost like a legacy that he could pass down the generations within our family. And he walked in one day, but back in 2015 with this like little copper still and all these big boxes of weird and wonderful botanicals. And I think at the time we, we perhaps thought he was going through a bit of a midlife crisis, but at, the, at that point we let him go down into his cellar and he just started experimenting, trying to recreate the gins he loved uh, until he found a recipe, which he was happy with. And I suppose he managed to gain our approval as well. Now, was he always a gin drinker? Yeah, always a gin drinker. Prior to Sing Gin, my parents have always had family businesses, but they really wanted one which myself and my twin brother James could get involved in on sort of a day-to-day -day basis as well. I mean, do you remember at home? Was he drinking gin? Were you drinking gin? Was it like the family drink or was it just, I, I want to create a business. I know my kids like to drink. I see the gin boom happening. I love Yorkshire. This is what I want to do. Probably a bit of both. I think my parents have always uh, really enjoyed gin. My mum's celiac uh, or gluten-free, so she's always tended to drink spirits more than perhaps beer or, or, or wine. And yeah, I think probably more than anything, they wanted a, a business which we could really get involved in and, and take forward with, with my parents as well. And your gin drinking, were you at, at school, were you, well not, I mean, at university, should I say, would you lean towards beer or were you also drinking gin or did you think that's like what the old people drank i think I, part, perhaps i did think what well, the old that's why is what the old people drink i think the university i went to i think generally in a group of, of lads we, you, you drink a lot of beer i think over the last five years i think i've developed an appreciation for spirits not just gin but vodka whiskey i think when you when you see what goes into the craft and uh, the craft which goes into making sing gin for example I, I think I then have gained more of an appreciation for the spirit and, and, and the taste of gin as well. And so he comes home with this still and some ingredients. Were you thinking, are you crazy? Or 
this is a good idea. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. I think we, we all thought he was crazy at the time. But my dad, my dad's an entrepreneur and, and has been for all his life. He's also an angel investor. So he had this vision and I think because it's cool, you know, we obviously wanted to be involved. And to be honest, upon graduation, so I, I went to Loughborough University. I studied a bachelor's degree in construction and a master's degree in business management. And I think I'd, I'd always wanted to be involved in, in small businesses or a startup business. And upon graduating and returning home, I joined a large project management consultancy like Graduate Ski. And, and to be honest, I soon realized it wasn't for me. So it kind of, the, the timing couldn't have worked better really, because at that point I, I then spent 18 months with my brother, my twin brother, James, basically building the brand and taking the product to market. So he's downstairs with his still and ingredients. You know, it's not so easy to create an award-winning gin like you have. How long or what, what was his recipe or where did he start? Yeah, of course. I, so he started by creating the gins he loved. What's unique about Sing Gin is that it's made from grapes. So he first started looking at gins made from grapes, started to, to investigate how they were made, the process. And then he just started trying to almost recreate them. Once he'd got the hang of it, he had been on a distilling course for like a 10 day distilling course that summer. So perhaps that should have given us an insight that he was up to something. <laughs> was that before he brought home the still? Yes, it was before. <laughs> so perhaps that should have given us a heads up. Now you said he liked the grape based gin. Was there one in particular that he was uh, influenced by? I, I think Nordez no is a really great gin. It's a Galician gin. It's inspired by the coast. It's a brilliant product. Well, you know, having decided that it was going to be grape-based instead of, say, grain-based, there are a lot of grapes out there. Where did he, or how did he settle on the grapes that you chose? Yeah, of course. I, I think if I take it back a step and perhaps mm -hmm. explain why we decided to make it from grapes first, and I think the reason we wanted to, to make some gin from grapes is for two reasons. One, because we, we felt like grapes offer a real sort of fruity, silky smoothness. I think in terms of texture of the spirit, in terms of softness and mouthfeel, it's very different to a grain-based gin, which is, is probably 99% of the market. And secondly, we, we wanted to make it from grapes because we wanted to take the gin back to where it all started. And when the world's first juniper spirits were produced, they were made from grapes back in the 14th century. So, and then obviously the next question is the UK is right now, it's, there are some great, great vineyards and then there are some great sparkling wines and, and wines, but to produce grape alcohol, you need a, a real high volume of grapes or wine. And that's not available in the UK. So we went to visit Spain and we went to a location called Castilla-La Manca in my best Yorkshire accent. Um, <laughs> Which is, if, if you don't know, it's, it's, it's the largest democratic, democratic vineyard in the world or the largest single vineyard, uh, which is 400,000 uh, hectares. It's where they grow the grapes to produce Brandy de Jerez. Mm -hmm. Obviously, over the last um, 10 to 20 years, the consumption of brandy in Spain has, has dropped significantly. And that presents distillers like ourselves an opportunity to, to purchase grapes or, or wine or or grape alcohol from these regions and provide almost like a means of income from, from for the farmers. So we visited Castilla Manca and we found a, a partner there who, who was essentially responsible for a vineyard cooperative, which is a large group of vineyards. So they purchase bulk wine 
um, and then distill it into, into grape alcohol. Now they were very excited because they, they don't have a customer in the UK. So they, they were like, wow, we've never worked with uh, a British business before. So we spent about, my, my dad spent about 18 months working with them to create a grape alcohol, which blended well with our gin, I suppose, with the flavor mm-hmm. profile that we were looking for. The grapes, we, we make it from a two Spanish varieties of grape, the Aaron and Macabeo. Aaron is very common in that region. Had he already picked which botanicals, I guess, in theory, that he wanted to mix with the grape blend? Yes. So we had a rough recipe. He'd created a flavor profile, but he needed to find almost like the base spirit to match with it. And one that we could purchase in volume as well. So we only had maybe like five liters of spirit which was enough to, to do a few bottles, but we needed much more and we couldn't find that, that here in the UK. And what kind of flavor profile was he looking for? So from a flavor profile, we wanted a gin, which was very juniper forward. You had notes of citrus, floral, but the mouth finish and the feel of what he wanted was a spirit, which would almost leave like a tingle on the edges of your toe when you tasted it. So it would leave a long finish and almost like a tingle behind. So that's what he was trying to go for, which he managed. <laughs> and what are some of the uh, botanicals that he decided to use? So the botanicals we use were very simple. We, we have seven, which include juniper, mint, orange peel. Um, one which is really unique is flax or linseed. You may have heard of it. People throw it on their porridges or salads. It's got really, really good omega-3 fatty acids. We didn't include it for that. We included it because it has a slight oiliness which adds to the gin and florality. Well, it also has a connection to the village, which is, is where my parents and I suppose the founders are from, which is a little village called Kettle Singh. And it was grown in that village centuries ago. So we always wanted to be able to reintroduce that back into the area. So it's now grown on site at our distillery. I guess you've kind of answered the question that I was going to ask, which is why flax? And was it just kind of a lucky guess that flax would work so well? You know, you both wanted to bring it back to life in your town, but also put it in the gin, you know, it might not have worked. Yeah, of course. I think we, we always wanted a botanical, which would, um, bring us back to the area and in the Yorkshire Dales or the, the bottom of the Yorkshire Dales that there isn't too much to choose from. We did a lot of research before we launched the brand and, and flax or linseed was a plant, which was once grown in the area and we were really keen to bring it back. So I suppose it was a bit of trying to fit that in as well into the final recipe. Mm-hmm. All right. So I interrupted you. So you said, now tell me again. So juniper, orange peel, the flax. Yeah. I'll start from my, my side. Cause otherwise I'm sorry. <laughs> well, uh, your list. Juniper, mint, orange peel, mint. flax. Uh, we have angelica root. We mm-hmm. have ginger root and we have coriander seed. The, mm-hmm. that, that's pretty simple. That's, yep. How long did it take? to get the recipe perfect? It, w- it was about, I think about 12 months. Developing the, the brand was probably one of the most difficult aspects. We've always stood by, if we're going to do something, we go, we want to do it right. So perfecting the brand, the tone of voice, you know, the touch point, wherever you see Sing Jin, whether it be in the UK or, or overseas, we want you to have the same experience, whether you're on our doorstep or not. But no, developing the recipe around 12 months, and then it was, yeah, trying to find, once we had the botanicals, it was then trying to find the, the partner in Spain, which was the, the more difficult part. Now, you said you were talking about creating the brand. Was it a linear process where you first 
wanted to have the spirit and then you were going to create the brand or was everything happening together at the same time? I think that the recipe was produced first and then the brand followed. I, I think it, it can take a, a lot of years to get the recipe right. So until we had that ready or, or at least almost ready to go, we, we didn't want to start working on the brand. And tell me a little bit about the brand work, you know, how you came up with Sing Jin and your brand message and what do you want to, you know, get across when people take that first sip or drink it in a cocktail? Of course, the Sing name comes from a little village on the outskirts of Harrogate or, or in the Yorkshire Dales called Kettle Sing, which is where my parents and, and I suppose the founders live. The village was first noted in the Doomsday Book of, of 1056 and it's located in, in an area of, of outstanding natural beauty. And that, that really comes on to what we are all about. We're all about producing. Sing Jin is, in, is inspired by the natural beauty of where we live. And we almost want you to drink it in. Our strap line is beauty is only gin deep. By the way, I love that strap line. <laughs> <laughs> that was my dad's idea, which he's actually not that creative. So for him, we were shocked as well. All right. You may want me to take that out of the podcast because he will be listening to this episode. <laughs> <laughs> He was creative enough to come up with the gin. So let's, uh, I'm going to disagree with you. He is creative. I think in terms of values, as a family business, family is everything. Our reputation is, is built on the connections we make. We aim to build long-term relationships with not just our customers in the UK, but our customers overseas as well. Craft is really important. You know, whatever we do, we want it to be right. It's, it's not worth doing if we're not going to put 100% into it and and make the product the best we can make it. And then authenticity, being true to yourself and doing and, and executing the brand in the way we see fit and, and just being true to ourselves and creating our, our values. And yeah, a difficult one to answer, I think, there. Uh, no, no, I think you've answered it well. Now, including in, in the brand message is the look of it. And let me get down my gorgeous bottle. And the label and why you picked this bottle and the colors and things like that. Talk me through how you decided on what we see. Of course, it's quite a heavy bottle. If you empty the gin contents or when you finish drinking it, uh, it's quite a heavy bottle, which signifies quality. The bottle is a translucent ink wrap. So it's not like a label or a sticker. You, you can't peel that off. It's uh, screen printed onto the bottle. The colors of the bottle are gold and blue. The gold represents what we call a folly here in the UK. And the follies are all about inspiring people and providing like an uplifting experience. And there is a folly near us, a UNESCO World Heritage Site called Fountains Abbey. And the folly is actually gold there, which is, is, is why we, we selected gold for one of the colors. And then the folly at Fountains Abbey is reflected. And all, a lot of follies are reflected into water, which is where the blue comes from on the bottle as well. As you look around, as the, the wrap around the bottle is actually the trees coming from behind the folly. And we've woven the mm. botanicals into the tree line on the bottle. But the coolest part is on the front, there's like a gargoyle. He's our fearsome gargoyle. He's the guardian over our secret recipe. And he's on the front of everything we do. No matter what you see of Sing Jin, whether it's booklets or advertising or marketing, the gargoyle is, is on everything we do. By the way, Fountains Abbey is one of my favorite places in the world, <laughs> in the world. Studley Royal and Fountains Abbey, the water garden there is spectacular. So I was struck by that immediately. 
It's absolutely gorgeous. I actually didn't realize that it wasn't a label when I looked twice. Now, of course, it's obvious. It is such a beautiful bottle, especially if you have that connection and you've been there and you know how beautiful it is. Yeah. Um, so let's talk about the, the taste. You know, someone who is just new to sing, what is the experience that you want them to have? Do you want them to try it neat first? Are there any specific cocktails that you want them to try it in first? Of course. So I think in terms of tasting it neat, I think we'd always recommend that, that you try it neat before you try it in a gin and tonic or a cocktail. More than anything, you should get a real softness. You know, it should be a really, really smooth gin. You shouldn't get like any ethanol harshness or, or anything like that. In terms of cocktails, I'm a huge fan of using ginger ale in cocktails. Um, there's you sound a- so American. I love ginger ale too. <laughs> It's, it's one of my mum's favorites, actually, and, and she drank it a lot growing up. So I think that's where I probably got the taste for it as well. You and know, it's I, funny because ginger ale and gin is not something that I usually see on a menu or anything. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I, I think it's, it's perhaps more used in the sort of at-home market. It's not too common in restaurants or bars, but there's an old a classic cocktail, which is relatively unknown, called the Floridora. I, I don't know whether you've come across it before. I have. I've I've had a rum Floridora before. I've never had a gin Floridora. Nice. Well, you you've got to try the the, the a gin Floridora. So it combines gin, fresh lime juice, uh, raspberry syrup, and it, it's topped with a ginger ale. It's very refreshing, very crisp, and it's just delightfully fruity. It's a soft cocktail, and it's perfect in summer. Oh my god, it sounds so delicious. Now, how about in the winter? You know, I, people always think of gin as the gin and tonic summer cocktail, but you know. You can have it all all year round. I was wondering if you do anything or you advise anything special with it. Yeah. So we do develop cocktails in-house for bars, restaurants. Um, we, there's a cocktail we produced probably about two years ago for like an, an Indian inspired retreat in the Yorkshire Dales. It's called a rose gin fizz. It's, it's, it's sing gin, uh, rose water, uh, grapefruit juice, lemon juice, and it's topped with a sparkling wine or champagne. You could drink it all year round, and, and I certainly do. Uh, it's floral, it's sweet, but not too sweet. You get the citrus from the grapefruit. And importantly, you can still taste the gin. And I think in any cocktails that we recommend, it's so important that you can still taste the gin. But it's the perfect, the perfect cocktail for Christmas morning in our house. Oh, I love it. No, I totally agree with you. It's so funny. I once read an article, a very silly article about quote unquote girly drinks. And one was to make the new old fashioned. So they called it the new fashioned so that so that you wouldn't taste the bourbon in it. And I was thinking, why would you want to drink a spirit that or a cocktail where you don't taste the actual spirit in it? Yeah. That's the whole point of drinking the, the cocktail is to taste the spirit. So I'm so glad you said that. Yeah, and, and I think for us, we just have the one product and it's a classic London dry gin. Something that flavoured gins have done very well is that they introduce perhaps the younger generations to, or those over 18, to gin. I think as their, their sort of palates develop, they tend to, to sway more towards a London dry gin. But with just the one gin, it, it's so important that people can taste the product and appreciate it more than anything. But we always said that we would stick on one product for sort of the first for six years, we really wanted to drive the brand into the market and, and build relationships and develop the brand. And then I think we will know when the right time is to bring that second product out. 
well, you know, having one product is fantastic, especially when you're winning awards with that one product. So tell me about you winning your first award and how that all came about. Yeah, of course. So when we launched the brand, we entered into our first competition, which was the internationally renowned IWSC, the International Wine and Spirit competition based in the UK, where it's a global competition and uh, they receive thousands of entries each year. A lot of products don't score as well or, or don't secure a, a medal. We were delighted to win a silver medal and it just shows the hard work that went into developing the brand and the, the time that we, we spent was worth it through winning the award. So what was the timeline from producing and selling your first bottle to winning the award? Six months and, and, and just after winning the award, we started working with Fortnum and Mason in London, a luxury retailer. And we was working with them as their November sort of product of the month or, or spirit of the month. Uh, and that was really exciting. From memory, we, we were one of the best selling gins ever as, as product of the month. That is absolutely incredible. Six months from bottle to award. And it's a blind, it's a blind taste test. Yeah, absolutely. Blind test. It's incredible. The judges have to taste so many and it is totally blind. Yeah, they receive thousands of submissions uh, from, from brands and distilleries all over the world. And I think we're, we're, we're gonna, going to be entering the, the San Francisco Awards next year. So uh, we're very excited to see what comes off the back of that as well. Well, I can only hope for a new product soon because the first one is so good. Are there any ideas to, floating around that you, that you can reveal or is it still would be a secret? So work has already started on the second product. It's, it's in the early development stages. Something I, I won't give anything away too much, but it, it will be made from grapes. I can't tell you what grapes or, or, or where the grapes are coming from or how the grapes will impart flavor onto the product, but it'll be made from grapes and yeah, it will be certainly very exciting. Well, I can't wait to try that. Now, I always ask two questions. Before we go, can you give me some top tips for the home bartender? Lots of ice would be the first one. I won't pretend to be some world-class bartender or, or, or mixologist myself. So I think I've been learning on the job over the last four or five years. Lots of ice and, and don't be, be afraid to experiment. Some of the world's most famous cocktails came through experimenting. And if you don't quite have the correct ingredients, don't, don't be afraid to use something else to sub substitute. And if you could be anywhere drinking anything right now, where would that be? So although the Yorkshire Dales is beautiful, I have a soft spot for Spain. Not only do our grapes come from there, but I think as a country, it has good weather, which, which sometimes in the UK we don't have. Um, it has great food, great drinks. And a place in particular is, is Seville, which just has great vibes, an amazing city. Oh, I can't wait to hop on the plane and get over there too. I agree. I agree. <laughs> well, thank you so much for introducing St. Jen. I can't wait to make another cocktail, try one of your Floridoras or the Rose Fizz sounds amazing. So yeah. thanks again for being on the show. I really appreciate it. You're very welcome. Thank you for having me and the opportunity to chat with you today. Of course. Thanks so much to Richard for being on the program. Any chance to get to Yorkshire even virtually makes me so happy. And a huge thank you to Sing Jin for sponsoring the transcription of the episode this week. So now, on to our cocktail of the week. Yes, the cocktail of the week had to be the Sing Jin Floridora. 
you'll need 50 mils of Sing Gin, 20 mils of fresh lime juice, 25 mils of raspberry syrup, and ginger ale. Add the gin, lime juice, and syrup to a cocktail shaker. Add ice and then shake, shake, shake. Then strain it into a balloon glass over cubed ice. Then top it up with ginger ale and stir gently. Finish by garnishing with raspberries and a lime wedge. You'll find this recipe more Sing Gin recipes, including the Rose Gin Fizz, and all the cocktails of the week at alushlifemanual.com, where you'll find all the ingredients in our shop. I went to Venice, even though I wasn't feeling well. I cried the whole time I was there, since it was my father's favorite place in the world. I felt him everywhere I went. So, if you live for Lush Life, make sure you head out to the bars and restaurants you love and tell them how much you love them. Theme music for Lush Life is by Stephen Shapiro and used with permission. And Lush Life is always and will be forever produced by Evo Terra and Simpler Media Productions. Which leaves me to say the wise words of Oscar Wilde, all things in moderation, including moderation, and always drink responsibly. Next time, it's my 200th episode. Can you believe it? And I am joined by one of my inspirations. Until that time, bottoms up. Bottoms up.